0: Have your Bible this morning, Ephesians is where we're going to go this morning. We've been in a summer series on the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament of your, of your Bible if you have a Bible with you. And um, it's a letter by the Apostle Paul written to the, the church in Ephesus, also very applicable to us as the church is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is not only to the church in ancient Ephesus but it is also applicable to First Assembly today. So these are God's words for us. This was a circular letter uh, written for a broad group of churches, and so we benefit today as God uh, gives us this word. As we've looked at in Ephesians, uh, we're going to be in chapter 4 today. The first three chapters of Ephesians, let me show you this. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Uh, are, are all about, as we've mentioned in the past weeks, but just to catch you up if you're new here today, doctrine. Uh, it's really about our position in Christ, who we are in Jesus, that we were once objects of wrath, but God, rich in mercy. He, he saved us by his grace, and he raised us up, and he seated us in heavenly places, and we are sons and daughters, and we're adopted, and it's who we are, it's our identity. And uh, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, that first whole part of this book, is about our position. And then today, where we are in chapter 4, and Pastor Harvey started us in this trajectory last Sunday, chapter 4 begins to turn a corner. Paul is saying, here's who you are in Christ, and now here's how you are to walk with Jesus. And so the next several chapters, 4, 5, and 6, is all about how we walk, and then in chapter 6 is how we war. And so we have to know where we 're seated before we can walk, and we have to know how to walk before we can war and wage spiritual warfare in our lives to, um, to see victory in every area and so Paul uh, unpacks this beautiful theological letter and uh, position now we 're looking at practice in chapter four it 's a call to unity and maturity. This is what uh, this whole chapter is about it 's about calling god 's people to, uh, to a place of Responding to what God has done for them. So, for example, if somebody were to come up to you uh, this week and uh, say, can I have your bank account number and then go and deposit, uh, you know, $20 million or 20, let's try, $20 billion in your bank account. I feel faith in this room this morning. And I'm feeling kind of prophetic today, so get ready. Uh, $20 billion, they say, I'm just going to put it in your account. And uh, man, you and I are thankful. We're like, this is good. This is solving all kinds of problems I'm feeling right now. And this is amazing. And that person says to you, oh, and by the way, they call you up maybe a few weeks later, and they say, I'm going away for four weeks vacation this summer. Would you come and house sit for me? And uh, maybe just feed my cat. And, uh, you're, and, and your attitude would be like, Oh man, that's like way asking way too much for me. (laughs) You know, I got plans this summer. I'm gonna live my own summer, my own life, my own agenda. I mean, you and I would never respond that way, would we? We would say, because you have impacted my life, you've given me such a generous gift. How could I not do what you call me to do? And so this is what's happening in Ephesians. Paul is saying, you don't just live your Christian life, tick off a bunch of boxes, and then just do all these things and try to be a good Christian girl or boy. You actually live from a place of, God, you've been so amazing to me, and now this is my response as I walk with you. And so it's a call again to unity and maturity, and God, God's order of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher bringing order to God's church. And so growing up in maturity, uh, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, and then As Harvey talked about last week, not living in a dark place like we used to, but our old man putting that off, and then a new man, and stepping in and stepping up to who God's called us to be. And so this section of scripture now where we're going today in Ephesians 4, it's the latter half and into 5, really deals with the subject of of purity. And so I want to speak a message this morning. I've entitled it, Be Who You Are. Be who you are. So let's look at this scripture together, and I'm gonna read it, and you can follow on your screens. And if you are taking notes, you can write that as a title, Be Who You Are. Ephesians 4, uh, looking at verse 25 and, uh, to 32. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body, and in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing some, something youth, useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave each other. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you today that we can come and gather in your presence. And Lord, your word is so powerful. Give us ears to hear you. Give us eyes to see Jesus this morning. Lord, I thank you that your word is living active. It's changing us. Make us more like Christ. Help us to be who we are as you grace us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we look at this uh, portion of Scripture, and if you're just to look at this kind of first glance, you're thumbing through your Bible, and you look at this, and you would say, oh, here's a bunch of, you know, Christian to-do lists. You just kind of go, well, you know, don't lie, don't cheat, you know, don't steal, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with the girls who do. You know, you just kind of you just check off, well, I, this is kind of how, you, how you're a Christian. You just kind of do it. But as I mentioned, it's not about just ticking off a list. Paul is really trying to get the point across here that it's about us responding and it's, it's living a life that responds to God's grace and seeing that fruit flow from our lives, that response. God, you've been so good to me. Here's how I want to walk with you. You see, as you've been called as a new person in Christ, it's the new you. It's not the old person. It's not the old man. The old man, uh, all of us feel that at times where we do things we don't want to do. And it's that old person, that old man rising up with, within us. And we struggle with this, and Romans talks about that. Paul, in the, in the letter to the Romans, talks about this struggle of doing what we don't want to do. And, but he calls the people of God to, to put on the, the new man and then live from a place of results. It's the new you. Uh, you don't function like you used to function, is what Paul's getting at. A number of years ago, Heather and I purchased a house in Langley, and when we purchased it, it was sitting on the market for quite some time in a really hot market, which was interesting. So we walked through it. We're like, great house, great house, great house. We walked in the kitchen. We're like, terrible kitchen. And the kitchen was really small and really complicated, and um, so we got it for a rock-bottom price, which was great, but we always said we're going to have to do something with this kitchen. So we ended up renovating uh, the kitchen. How many people have ever renovated a bathroom or a kitchen? You know, um, it's a major upheaval in your life. But we ended up renovating the kitchen, and when we got the new kitchen, it was great. And but I found myself often going into the kitchen and opening a drawer, and I was looking for something, a fork, and I'm like, oh, that fork used to be here. Now it's over here, and you're disorientated. It's you function differently in, an, in a new environment than you do in an old environment. So very much like our new man, our old man at times will creep up, and, and we have to put off our old man, put on our new man, and oftentimes we will find ourselves into old patterns and old habits, and we're disoriented, but things have changed, and the entire structure and the function of our lives changes as we are in Christ, which again is one of the main themes Of this letter is that we are now no longer outsiders. You are in Christ. And in Christ, you begin to function like Christ. You begin to respond and walk with Jesus to please his heart and to please him. You don't just live your life for yourself. And Paul uses the metaphor that we're a body, and he unpacks that in other places in scripture, but we are all members of one body, he says. And together, the context is, as we walk with Christ, how do we walk together with each other? And how do we honor God? How do we be who we are, not just individually, but together as the church? And this is the context of what we look at. So rather than ticking off a list, our lives is a response. And our lives, listen to this. Our lives are God-centered, not self-centered. This is one of the primary differences in the Christian faith is other religions and ways of life and people who read self-help books, which I read a few of them as well. I'm not against them necessarily, but uh, you know, it's all these philosophies are about me and helping me become better for me and for my gain. It's a response and it's about God. It's about Christ being center and central in everything that we are in our entire lives. It's about Christ and then the fruits and the results. And so verse 25 in our text, all the way through chapter five, verse two approximately, there are several areas of, let's call them Christian conduct or how to live and walk with Christ in this purity that he calls us to. And so I wanna just look at this text and pull out a couple major themes, two major themes and then another theme that I believe is actually key for us to fulfill everything that's in in here today as we are sensitive to the work of God. So, um, who we're called to be. Let's look at this. First of all, we're to be truth speakers and peacemakers. To be who you are, you are a truth speaker and a peacemaker. You used to be a liar, and you used to walk around in bitterness and resentment, and now, God has called you in Christ to be one who speaks the truth. Now, we live in a culture that truth is getting foggier and foggier. Have you noticed? It used to even be culturally acceptable, for the most part, in Canada, the United States, where we'd say, you know what, we don't value lying as a culture, some of the things that we're seeing happen south of the border in the the U.S. election and how lying and and even people, you know, at the highest level of government and doing investigations and they say, well, they're lying, but we're going to let them off the hook. It's actually no big deal. It's almost like everybody lies. But friends, Paul is saying this should never be in in the heart of the Christ follower. As we follow Christ, we should never be people who harbor lies, uh, accept lies you know, just integrate that into our lifestyle or to our beliefs, but we are to be speakers of truth. Why? Not just because it's culturally acceptable or not. Not just because, well, if I lie, I might get found out or caught. Not just because, uh, you know, if I lie, something bad might happen to me. These are some reasons that might have some sense of rationality to them, but We don't lie because that's not who we are in Christ. We are truth tellers. We are speakers of truth. We are people who, this is how we roll in Jesus Christ. It's who we are. And so if you're a fisherman, chances are you've lied about the size of the fish that you've caught before. Um, Little areas of white lies, half-truths. Paul's saying, don't be that person. Allow the Spirit to convict you and catch yourself that you would be a truth teller. Now let's look at at peacemakers. We're peacemakers. And this is who Jesus has called us to be. That you would each must speak, you must speak truthfully to his neighbor. Each of you must speak truthfully to his neighbor. Look at that word there, speak truthfully to his neighbor. It's very important that we are Understanding that as we speak truth, as we make peace, we are making peace with each other and speaking to our neighbor in truth. Peacemakers are people who understand that there are times that we get angry, all anger is not sin. And there are times that we can be angry, and it's not sin at all. I think Sarah mentioned it, and even some of the events that have taken place this past week, and even in our own city, how many felt a righteous anger, you know, just rise up? And in that place of feeling those emotions of anger, anger is a natural emotion, but in your anger, Paul says, don't sin. And there's a there's a rightful place to be angry. Jesus was angry. Uh, there were certain times in Scripture. There was a time where he you know he 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 went in and and he saw the people selling their wares and, and you know it was it was in the place uh, you know where he said my you know my house shall be a house of prayer and his heart was grieved and he saw what they were doing and so he went over to the you know it says in one of the gospels that he made a whip. And uh, that's an image for you. You know, Jesus kind of going over to the side. He's got some leather. He's just weaving the leather just quietly. And the disciples are, what's going on with Jesus? What's he doing? Peter's like, I don't know. What's he doing? Other disciples like, he's making a whip. And so Jesus, you know, he stands up and he, in righteous anger, he's like, you know, he's like the first guy that ever said this, watch me whip, right? That was, <laughs> watch me, watch me, right? And so he... I, know, I went there. It's the youth pastor in me. The nine o'clock service never got that joke. Uh, it's coming out of me. Uh, so Jesus goes in, and in his righteousness and in his anger, he begins to turn over the tables. So here's, here's where anger becomes sin. Anger becomes sin, first of all, when it's really about me defending me. When it's me defending somebody else, the poor, the orphan, the, the those who can't defend themselves, Jesus... In his anger, he was defending. Uh, He got angry at the religious guys, the man with the withered hand. He's like, don't get in the way of what God is doing here. There was anger. It was righteous anger. We are to respond with righteous anger, and that's, that's natural. That's right. There's a place for that. It's a heart of justice, but where it becomes sin is when I become angry and I let resentment and bitterness rest in my heart because I'm offended what you did to me. You know, Jesus, even when he was on the cross, dying on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. He didn't have resentment and anger towards people. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And so as we look at this subject of of anger, we're to be peacemakers in the sense that we can have righteous anger. But when it comes to how we treat each other in the body of Christ, we shouldn't be harboring sin and unforgiveness and when we find ourselves harboring unforgiveness and we're not forgiving one another, we, we get a story and we hear that story and we, we narrate that story to ourselves and we share that story with other people. And we can find ourselves in places trapped in unforgiveness. And it becomes something that hinders our, our walk with Christ. It's not who we are. When you're in Christ... You're a person that seeks peace, and again, the context is with each other. And so, there's a warning that it says, "Don't let the sun go down in in anger, in your anger, because you don't want to give the devil a foothold." Let's look at this for a moment. Don't let the sun go down, because you don't want the devil to have a foothold in your life. Some people, are, you know, there's two extremes. People say, well, the devil has no, no power and authority in my life, and that's true. As a follower of Christ, you are saved, you are right with God. Uh, the devil has been defeated, sin and death has been conquered through Jesus Christ because of the cross, and we're thankful for that, and that is right, but Paul, in this context, he begins to share with the church, saying there, there's times where the devil can have a, a stronghold or a foothold in your life, even as a follower of Christ. And some people, the other extreme is, well, you know, the devil you know, has no influence, and the other extreme is there's a devil behind every rock, but somewhere in the middle, the devil has been defeated, but we can open up areas of our lives, cracks, where we can allow a place in our lives to give the devil, the word there is place. Don't give the devil, the enemy, a place in your life, even as a follower of Christ. Some people might be rock climbers in this room. And if you are a rock climber or you've seen people rock climb, you understand that rock climbers, we used to live out in Vancouver and up the Chief and Squamish and there's different places where people would rock climb and then you've seen video where they're almost hanging upside down on a cliff. All a rock climber really needs is a crevice, is a little foothold and they can propel the weight of their whole body up the side of that cliff. As we are followers of Christ in Christ, As we allow areas of bitterness or unforgiveness, areas of sin, areas of our old man, our old person, our old nature to to be manifest in our lives and to remain there without uh, asking God's forgiveness or his grace, they become wedges, they become footholds, they become areas where we're actually allowing demonic influence into our lives. Now, in Christ, we're still saved. And this is the beautiful piece, and this is the piece that sometimes people get mixed up. They say, well, I thought the devil has no authority. No, you're a child of God. He has no authority in your life, and you're saved. But as you open up areas of your life and you give the enemy a foothold, you are actually allowing influence in your life to hinder you from walking in the freedom that God has for you. Lies and anger, they create bitterness and sin, and they give room for the enemy to have a foothold in our lives. It talks about don't let the sun go down. Bitterness festers, and this is where anger becomes sin as well. It can move to habits. It can move to bitterness. It can move to behavior. A lot of times the things that we're doing are not the sins. They're the symptoms of sin, but the sin is even deeper. It's actually the anger that's inside of us that is causing us to live outside of how we're called to live. We're living in the old person, the old man, and sin will fester and bitterness will fester and grow as long as it's kept inside sin needs to come into the light david cried out when he finally came to that place where he was he was convicted of his sin and he cried out to god and he said when i kept silent about my sin psalm 33 my body wasted away and through my groaning all day long for day and night your hand was heavy upon me my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. And there's a place of unconfessed sin and bitterness and unforgiveness in our lives where it actually sucks the life out of us. Even as we follow Christ and we're in Christ. And we need to be truth tellers and peacemakers and deal with anger in our lives and don't let the sun go down. In other words, Today, if there's something in your life, there's there's an unconfessed sin in your heart that God is convicting you of, if there's somebody that has hurt you, don't let today end without making it right. Having that conversation. If you're able to, let God speak to you about that. James 5 says this, and this is the beautiful promise, friends. Therefore, confess your sins to each other And pray for each other so that you may be healed. How many are thankful that as we confess and we bring our sin into the light, that we are healed and we're forgiven. Amen. It's awesome. And secondly, this morning, to be givers and not takers. This is who you are. You're a giver. You're not a taker. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his hands that he may have something to share with those in need. We're not to be stealers. We're not to be stealing from each other in any way, shape, or form, but as we walk together as the body of Christ, we can steal from each other in different ways financially. We can steal energy from each other. We can steal time. We can be disrespectful of, of others, but... Paul is saying, you're not just here to take. It's not about a lifestyle of just taking, taking what's in it for me, but serving Christ and living for Christ is all about being a giver, being generous like Jesus. And sometimes we find ourselves lying and cheating and stealing, and sometimes it's blatant, sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's it's things we don't even see. They're blind spots. And because we're scared and we have weak moments, we fall back into those old patterns. And we hold ourselves back from being who we are. Paul says this in his farewell to the Ephesians in Acts chapter 30. He says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. We wanna be people that are generous. That's who you are. You're generous like Jesus. That's who I am. We're following him. We're in Christ. Then thirdly, this is the final point. And I believe the secret or the leverage that allows us to walk as people of the spirit and to walk in a place of being truth tellers and peacemakers, givers and not takers. And that's this, is to be led by the Spirit, to be Spirit-led and Spirit-sensitive. The Holy Spirit, it says this. I want us just to consider this for a moment. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This means that the Spirit can actually feel grief because of our anger and sin, because of our lies and deceit, because of our patterns of falling back to be the person that we used to be. That the Holy Spirit can feel grieved, It's because the Spirit is not a cosmic force in the universe somewhere. The Spirit is the Spirit of God. He's he's personal. He's in relationship with us. We're adopted as sons and daughters in his family and by our behaviors, by our lack of obedience, by us falling back in our old patterns, we can actually grieve the Spirit of God in our lives. Does that mean that he doesn't love us the same? No, he loves us the same. Does that mean that we're not saved? No, we're saved. You put your trust in Jesus, all who call upon the name of the Lord. You're saved. You're right with God. You're covered with the blood. But to walk in freedom and to be who you are and to walk in the grace and the breakthrough in your life, we need to take stock and examine our lives. You see, the life in Christ is an examined life. And we need to ask the Lord, is there any wicked way in me Convict me, speak to me, and then walk in a place of repentance where we're saying, God, I, I, I need you and I identify what you've shown me is, is real and I need, to, I need to bring this to the light and I need to forgive that person. And because if, if we live in a place of unconfessed sin and disobedience, we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. One of the pictures of the Spirit is a dove. And the dove is in the same family as the pigeon. And the pigeon is kind of an ornery kind of little bird of some kind and kind of bothersome. But the dove is very opposite, very independent, very gracious, very gentle. But the dove will not land in the middle of a mess like a pigeon. The dove will land in a place of beauty and grace and can easily be moved off with when the environment changes. And our hearts are the environment where we say, God, we want you to come rest upon our hearts. As a dove, our church is the environment where we are treating one another in the context of forgiving one another, loving one another. Not being angry and holding bitterness against one another. Telling the truth to one another in love. And in this environment, the Holy Spirit is welcome and can rest in our lives. Being spirit-led, being spirit-sensitive empowers us to be who we are. And it's keeping in step with the spirit. Now, my family, uh, our kids, most of the time they get along with each other. That may shock you because you would think that the pastor's family they'd have a hundred percent record. They'd never fight or right. And I love as a dad coming home, walking in the door, and my kids are laughing. My kids are like, hey, Dad, we're going to watch a movie. We got made popcorn. And I come in. It's just like, you know, I'm home. It's like, celebrate good times. Come home. Woo. Dun, dun, dun. Johnson family's home. It's good times. It's fun. Everybody's loving each other. Kids are taking selfies, making videos. It's fun. And there's other times I come home. I walk in the house, and it's a little chilly in here. I hear a little bit of bickering over in the corner, and I see somebody stomping down the hallway. I cannot believe it, my sister did this to me. I'm going to get it after the service. My kids are going to get upset at me for these illustrations. It's not that they're not my kids, it's just I love the environment where they're getting along, where there's unity. There's grace, there's forgiveness, there's joy. And this is what Paul's saying. You used to be in a place of grieving the Spirit. How do we grieve the Spirit? We, we grieve the Spirit when we resort back to living like the old man. We grieve the Spirit when we live like those outside of Christ who we used to be by lying, by being angry, by stealing, by being bitter, unforgiving, by... Sexual immorality in chapter 5, it goes on to talk about how these are the things that grieve the Spirit of God in our lives. He loves us, we're His children, and He's welcomed us in. But may it be that we are sensitive to the Spirit, that we would walk with Him. That because of what He's done, our lives would be a response. And we don't always understand that we're... Out of step with the spirit because we're human and we make mistakes and our old man sometimes rises up. But this morning I believe that God is calling us as a church saying, I want this church first assembly. I want you to be in unity and I want you to be in maturity because my spirit desires to rest here in this place. Not only together corporately, but in your home, in your marriage, in your family, That there would be forgiveness, truth, peace in your anger. Do not sin. Deal with what you need to before the sun goes down. That we would be people of sensitivity to what the Spirit of God is speaking to us about. That we would not give place to the enemy. There would be no foothold. There would be no influence. God still loves us but are we allowing cracks in our lives? Are we allowing little areas of our lives that would give the enemy just enough leverage to influence some things in our lives? Sometimes people say, why am I going through this challenge in my life? Well, first of all, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. So sometimes trouble is just trouble. We don't know why it's there or where it came from. But may I submit to you today to consider Might there be trouble in your life that is actually demonically influenced because of cracks and unforgiveness and places where you've allowed a foothold. And let the spirit, let the dove rest upon your life, bring illumination and conviction. As Paul's prayer was to the Ephesians, open the eyes of their hearts, God, that they would know you. That we would sense him, know him, walk with him. In our lives, I'm gonna ask you to stand with me this morning. I'd love to pray over us as we close. Paul says at the very beginning of chapter 4, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling that you've received. In other words, be who you are. You're not who you used to be, so be who you are in Christ. Let's open our hearts and our lives and say, God, just speak to me about areas of my heart. Let's invite conviction. It's not for God to harm us or shame us, but to actually free us at a new level of living, a new level of breakthrough, that we would honor him and be a place where the spirit rests in our lives and together. We have to be so sensitive to the the voice of the spirit in our lives. It's not that God doesn't love us or he can't use us to certain degrees, but he has so much more breakthrough for you and me as we are spirit-sensitive to his conviction and to his leading in our lives. When I was a youth pastor, just starting out in youth ministry, somebody gave me a Christian leadership book. And, uh, first of all, I didn't know books could be Christians, but it was a Christian book. And, uh, It was the premise of the book was sometimes you got to be a shepherd because that's the biblical model, but sometimes as a leader, you got to be more like a cowboy. So, shepherd, lead people, love them, kind. Sometimes you got to be a cowboy and you got to lasso in those cattle, rope them up and tie them up and make some calls, partner. And so, I'm a young, impressionable youth pastor. I'm like, that's my problem. I've just been too nice to everybody. And first of all, let me say I would never recommend that book. It stinks. <laughs> Cuz I believe the model is Shepherd. But I read this book and I was like, yeah, okay, that's the problem. I'm bringing in my intern. And I brought my intern in and he was he was all right. And I said, "All right, intern, here's the deal, here's 10 things you're not doing right. You're not doing this, you're not doing that, you're not doing that. And I, he sat across my desk and I'm like, these things gotta change or your internship's over. And I wounded him. He left that office that day. He packed up his books, he left. He wouldn't return my calls. He was angry, he was wounded by my behavior. And I was a young leader and I'm just like, that's all right, people come, people go. Months went by and the Holy Spirit, the dove it was like, I'm having a hard time landing on your life here. You've grieved me. You've grieved me. And the Holy Spirit said, You got to go make things right. Don't let the sun go down today before you go make things right. And I had an opportunity to go and to meet with this young man. And I just, with heartfelt, Even tears in my eyes because I was under such conviction. I said, you need to forgive me. Please forgive me if you will. I treated you poorly. I was harsh with you. Would you forgive me? And he graciously said, hey, you know, don't worry about it. I forgive you. And, you know, to this day we're friends. And it was the conviction of the Spirit to not let the sun go down, to be a peacemaker and a truth teller and to face the facts and to deal with the things in my own heart that we're out of order to not grieve the Holy Spirit but to say Holy Spirit you're welcome here I welcome you in my life I welcome you to rest upon my life and my prayer is as a church we would be welcomers of the Spirit that we would say God where there needs to be forgiveness let me go forgive where, where I'm talking about people I'm going to quit gossiping Am I, I'm actually going to go to people as the scripture says talk to people not about people There's always two sides to a story where where there's sin and there's willing disobedience and habits and areas of our lives where we find ourselves trapped that we would not just say, oh, well, Jesus forgives me anyway. Cheap grace. It's all good. Yeah, Jesus will forgive you, but you got to bring it into the light and you got to get accountable and you got to allow that conviction to move you to a place of repentance. And Jesus called people to repent repent. And they were just so full of themselves, self-righteousness, some of the Pharisees, and he called them in that context. When he went to Levi, the tax collector's home, and the Pharisees are like, well, who's this guy hanging out? He's like, you guys are self-righteous, and I'm calling people to repentance. And at least this guy has welcomed me into his life. At least I can land upon his life, because there's room, there's humility. And so let me ask you a question this morning. Is there room in your heart and in your life Is your heart a place that's a welcoming home to allow the conviction and the leading of the Spirit in your life to illuminate areas of sin, brokenness, unforgiveness? In your anger, do not sin. Are you telling truth? Are you living like you used to live? Or are you living to be the person you are now? And I believe God's going to give us the grace. I want us to sing this song together as we welcome God into this place as we close this morning. If you're here today, just before we sing, if you want to give your life to Christ, you're currently in this place and you're hungry for Jesus, and maybe you've never had given the opportunity in your life to accept his love and his forgiveness, right now you can do it. The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. Just cry out to him and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. You can choose to follow him, to be a Christ follower today. Say, Lord, come into my life, forgive me of my sin, cleanse me. And God, those of us who are following you, Lord, we want to be people that welcome you into our lives. Thank you, Lord, that we live our lives in response to what you've done for us. Now, convict us and lead us into all truth, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together before we go this morning.